Welcome to the Talking Teaching Podcast with me, Carl Nelson. So, uh, if you can start with a bit of an introduction, uh, Anita, and uh, then we'll get going. Yeah, introductions are actually really, really hard. Uh, yeah, so, uh, I'm Anita Modestova, I'm an English teacher um, from Moscow. Um, I've been an English teacher for seven years only, I guess. I don't feel like it's a lot of experience. I'm counting uh, since my CELTA. I did my CELTA in April 2013. Um, actually, uh, I used to be a psychologist. Like, like no, I was trained to be a psychologist. I like, never worked much as a psychologist, more like with, uh, just with kids. And um, I tried teaching English in different institutions, different areas, uh, uh, like a little bit of very young learners, young learners, state school, uh, like corporate courses, uh, like private school, university for a year, and um, like big like in, in company training uh, center. And uh, I've been self-employed for four years now um, as a teacher. And uh, a year ago, I started my own like uh, hard to describe in a couple of words. Uh, yeah, it's like English and teacher training uh, project okay. for English teachers. So that would be in a nutshell. Sure. Great. Okay. Uh, I think there's a lot already there that we'll talk about. I think there's a couple of things that, that I want to get to. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the work that you do, that you, that you just briefly introduced, uh, some of the training and things that you do and, and some of the work you do with teachers. Um, there's a couple of things in your background there. I mean, it sounds actually quite a lot of it. Uh, it's quite similar to, to some of my own uh, experiences. So um, you've had a, a nice kind of range of experiences teaching different ages and teaching in different contexts. Uh, have you settled on a favorite? Is there something out of all those that you like? And is there anything that you don't enjoy doing? I can't say there is something I don't enjoy. I think I'm maybe the kind of person I start doing something and I enjoy it, maybe apart from documents. I hate working with documents mm, like okay. now, like when you have your own business, there is lots yeah, of sure, like accounting sure. stuff. But no, accounting might be interesting, but documents, paperwork, no, never. Um, so in terms of English, um, I enjoyed everything. I really enjoyed very young learners. It's like when you're allowed to have okay. fun, you know, okay. run all over the place songs you know and people keep paying you for that so that's <laughs> and the kids the kids are amazing um yeah the only thing i usually like um when they i don't know at least in russia um when uh, your child like has like a running nose you can't take them to the state kindergarten but you can bring them to a private kindergarten and so oh, the teacher okay. is the one with the running nose for the next yeah. day so that's, yeah. that's, that's the downside yeah, yeah that um, I liked everything, uh, but now I, I um, chose, like, I believe, so I really like your question because I believe that, uh, I mean, at some point you need to choose your niche uh, because yeah. the there is so much to learn about, like, this tiny niche and uh, yeah, right. you can't do uh, everything. But I don't know, I know there are people who would disagree. Um, so now I specialize in teaching adults. I love low levels, so beginners elementary. This is my favorite. Um, not because I don't enjoy... Um, like other levels but this is just something i'm i don't know interested in fascinated by how like uh, adults learn the language yeah, yeah. they maybe it's more rewarding in a way yeah because when you see those steps at lower levels right yeah you can really feel the progress every lesson right yeah and i try to focus like on like basically general conversational like english yeah. for life that they need um sure i yeah so that's that's in terms of english teaching that would be it okay is that what you were doing in is that oh yeah is that what you're doing in the university context uh no at university it was uh, i mean for me adults like the the group i'm teaching age group would be like uh, 
Um, I usually say I bet I, if somebody asks if I teach kids, I say, yes, I do. I teach kids who are older than 25 years old. Uh, <laughs> so this, is, this is my audience. At university, it was just uh, a year of, uh, uh, yeah, like practice. So uh, it was um, um, first, um, first, second years at university. So for me, they're like, like they're not young learners anymore yeah but like right. <laughs> they're very young adults maybe so yeah. a bit different context i like yeah. i like it when there is no uh like a fixed program like at university yeah like when i can choose to do something yeah yeah i i found it quite similar i taught for I guess three semesters just over a year in a university as well um, and when I was in the university it was I was doing two courses one was um, English and one was uh, TEFL um, and so it was really the TEFL course that attracted me to the job there um, and then the English course was the, the, or the English teaching I should say was kind of filling up my hours I suppose um, but I was surprised as well um, and how similar it was to just teaching high school kids you, know, you kind of have this assumption that oh well they're adults now and, uh but it was just it was just like another year of school for especially for the you know for the for the for the first year students um yeah. it was a bit different for the for the you know for the later semesters but uh, it surprised me a bit yeah yeah it's really like they're like they're kids and they're like sitting there listening to you very carefully and like you know writing everything yeah. down and, yeah like, yeah uh, talk. <laughs> yeah right exactly yeah yeah i was i mean it was good it was one of one of one of my most uh interesting teaching experiences I think was being in that context and um, obviously as you said when they're beginner level students um, you see the the progress that they make the very quick progress that they make in, in learning the language um, and in the university context for me as well I particularly enjoyed watching them change as as learners uh, here in Indonesia I don't know what Russia's like actually but you can tell us a little bit about that as a teaching context here is very formal um, and so the, the the learners were very used to just kind of sitting listening doing as they're told taking notes writing things down um and it was very uh, rewarding in the university classrooms to kind of change that paradigm with the learners and, and see after a few weeks see them really come to take a whole new approach to learning uh, as well as developing their english they were just different kinds of learners by the time that i'd, I'd spent some time with them well, what's it like in russia is it is it similar um, it really depends, uh, seriously. So mostly, I would say, uh, university is a rather formal place. Um, yes, in general. Um, I uh, went to teach to the university I graduated from um, as a psychologist. So it's not a language university. It's like right. humanities. Yeah. And I was teaching at the faculties of uh, sociology and psychology a little bit. Huh? And yeah, our um, like our university is like kind of a funny mixture of formal and informal because okay. um, I mean basically it's like kind of affiliated to the Russian Academy of Science so basically all other teachers are scientists and uh, right, yeah okay. they're, they're quite I mean they are they're amazing people but they're quite formal in terms yeah you know uh, because scientists they like write a lot of formal papers right, and, of course. and research and I mean and they're usually uh, yeah so the the context like they interact in as more formal like yeah. conferences and stuff so and i was like uh it was four or five years ago i was trying yet to bring this uh <laughs> um i don't know informality in class uh right. at least with my students uh, it, i guess it's hard to switch context for them when yeah, they well, I think lecture just five minutes ago yeah, yeah that's it it's hard for the students it's hard for the teachers as well i think or the, the lecturers whatever whatever we call them i think often in that context um 
teaching isn't really their priority, right? They're there to either further their studies or their their their, their teaching whilst they're doing research or writing writing their papers. Um, and I think for some of them, teaching is kind of something that they have to do. It's part and parcel of being an academic, and that was what I found as well. You know, when I was working in the university, it was because I was a teacher and I was there to teach, and my, that's mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. Um, and that was just that alone meant that I had a very different approach to some of the other teachers or the lecturers there because their heart wasn't really in the teaching side of things. I guess it's very similar here, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, and the curriculum, like in the schedule, it was like English was written like as well, like, like as everything, lectures and like, yes, you know, that's it, right? an English lecture, doesn't yeah. <laughs> <don't have> lectures. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But what I uh, like glory myself from that experience. First of all, it was my first experience of like teaching big groups, like out uh, about twenty people, twenty twenty five. Yeah, okay. So we didn't we didn't split though them. I don't remember. Uh, doing that, yeah, and um, very mixed level groups because somebody sure. like um, I think like now we're supposed like so now English is mandatory I think at all schools but it okay. uh, didn't used to be so some would study French or German and <laughs> I don't speak either French or German so <laughs> they, they, this would be the most popular languages uh, like after English to learn um, right. yeah and I mean they were all together like very very like zero yeah. i remember a girl uh like she did, she really didn't know how to say hello so yeah, <laughs> english right. kind of i don't know how it's possible <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know i tend to i tend to tell my teachers that that's almost impossible these days yeah but of course yeah. there's there's always gonna be that one you'll, you'll you'll find one somewhere of course yeah like okay uh, um but uh one thing that i really i was surprised so i was i'm i was happy that at my university i was allowed to do like um, it was a very mixed experience for me again as a teacher. On like so, on the one hand, I was allowed to do anything I wanted within the classroom, but on the other hand, our like head teacher, she had a very unusual approach about uh, um, teaching, and uh, yeah, so she didn't control what we were doing. So I kind of right. ignored her uh, ideas. But then there was a like when she came to observe that, that then there was a problem. Anyway, we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> for me, not for them, luckily, but, uh, and then I quit. So, um, <laughs> and uh, we were doing, I think, pick out uh, the, the course book, um, uh, because I chose it like for the videos and for the okay, topics, sure. it's relevant, I guess, for the, their context as well as sociologists. And I was uh, amazed how much can be achieved, even when you have limited time in class, but yeah. all the students have to do their homework. Right, so, I see. And this is amazing because they practically they spend as much time as in class, like doing some uh, at home. Because right. um, we had this like um, so we agreed like that if they do their homework, they won't have any formal tests in the end. Okay. Yeah. So okay. They, okay. Yeah. So it was easier for them, and and the results were amazing. So I'm I was much worse teacher back then, definitely. <laughs> no, uh, just because the students were doing the, their homework. As I teach adults now, and I'm an adult and I'm learning languages myself, I like practically never do my homework, knowing that it would massively improve, and, you know, and speed up my learning. But still, yeah. So that was uh, I'm I still remember that, and uh, I'm not sure. Like I, I try to um, I don't know, pass this message on to my adult students. Yeah, like just letting them know that it really works. I saw it. Yeah. What can happen in months if you study and do homework? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the research kind of backs that up now as well. We've, there's, I think, a movement that I endorse 
to, to kind of reduce the amount of homework because we see so much homework in some contexts here in Indonesia is, is you know, every lesson, mm-hmm. lots of homework. By the time the, the, the students get home after, you know, six or seven lessons for the day they've got six or seven hours of homework to do at home and that's every day I and mean, that's outrageous um but i think the reason so there's been a lot of movement around the world to move away from i think we're seeing now as the research comes in that less homework for the smaller kids is good um but some homework for the middle age and then as you get to the kind of the, the upper years um a good amount of homework seems to actually help with a lot of progress um so that's something that i've been I wasn't happy to see that those are, that's the truth, but the truth it is, so there we are. <laughs> so you're against homework. Uh, I mean, it also depends on the hours that you have, but we had like, uh, I guess our, our system, again, uni system is not uh, designed to learn languages because basically you have, um, we call it like a pair, yeah? So two classes in a row. Uh, oh yeah, okay. So that's right, it. Okay. So it's once a week for three hours. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then like see you next week. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like homework is essential. Like uh, right, yeah, definitely. That that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's something I was. I often have to make clear to the to when I work with schools here, when I'm uh, whether consulting or designing programs for schools, um, the amount of progress that they expect from their students, they want to achieve, you know, wild outcomes. Um, and I'll sit down with them and we'll go through the schedule and we'll count the sessions per week and the hours and the weeks in the year. So, you know, by the time you add all of this up, you're looking at basically 50 hours per year and you're expecting to get, you know, native level, fluent, whatever language, whatever terms you're using, you know, out of, after a couple of years of study. You are, it's basically, they'll be in school for 12 years and they'll have spent something like a week speaking English. You know, it's like, it's just the, the, the level of, progress that they expect to make is uh, it's just uh, very unrealistic yeah i think it's because years and hours you know like we still believe in like we're counting it kind of years um just wanted to yeah a couple of words about that method that i mentioned uh, also uh, so the i guess i think it's like every place where you work uh, depends on your management and their the right. ideas that they have and i was uh, i was a very like uh, it was my first time teaching at university. I was really like, mm, I was very proud that they like kind of accepted me without like any prior much of experience, you know. And um, I don't, I'm not a researcher. I don't have a PhD or anything. So um, I, I was really, uh, you know, surprised and happy about it. And um, uh, but then I was like, mm, I'm not sure that this is uh, this resembles anything they told us at CELT or something. Yeah, the idea right. of uh, the, that system was like that we should uh, do a lot of uh, grammar translation things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's a thing uh, um, in Indonesia. Yeah. Or something, yeah? yeah. So we're, yeah. we're very good at uh, translation stuff. Yeah. And yeah. we were supposed to cover all, uh, it, it was called all grammar, but basically it was all tenses passive and active uh, voices, but basically like even the future perfect continuous, but uh, passive and active. <laughs> and then, uh, then and some models, I remember models were, were somewhere uh, on the schedule. And, uh, and then the idea was like, if the students can do the test by the end of the semester, uh, we have like two semesters, yeah, uh, a whole year to visit them. And uh, then it means that uh, for the second semester, they can start with the intermediate book because they already know all the grammar. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. This is. No. This is the perfect opportunity for me uh, because I. I. So that's the way. That's the way 
learning is here in most of the schools. That's basically when I go and work at a school or work with teachers, that's the thing that I'm trying to change, right? Because that's so standard here. Um, and when I, whether I'm training or, or talking with teachers, um, there's not only is that the standard, the mainstream approach here, but also it's, it's quite heavily defended. I meet a lot of teachers who tell me, no, no, of course, that's not, not only is that what we do, but we believe that's what we should be doing. That's the right way. So it can take quite a lot of work for me to shift the mentality. And often, um, you know, they need to see it. once they've seen the, the, the new approaches, the different approaches, they start to, to get on board. But the thing that has always baffled me um, is when I meet a teacher who says, you know, that's how I learned. If I it should be fine for my students because that's how I learned, that does kind of throw me for a loop sometimes. Well, you shouldn't be this good at English if that's how you learn. Um, and I, uh, you're, uh, the, the, I, I start making assumptions in my, well, this must have been happening and there must be an, a, a reason. I mean, how are you so good at English if that's how you learn? Did it work for you or were you doing something else at the same time? That's a very good. Uh, that's a very good question. Yeah, but I guess um, so. Now, um, I'm not sure when people say uh, that's the way I learn. Maybe they're not uh, like 100. Not. I mean, not honest, but they maybe they didn't see other stuff. Yeah, that's so, my assumption. Uh, yeah. So uh, it's the way they remember things. So, mm -hmm. um, for example, like I also thought like mm, we did. Um, so I was lucky. I, I went to a state school, and uh, it was a Spanish uh, school. So basically, Spanish okay. and English. Spanish is my first uh, like foreign language okay. and English uh, was my second but basically both uh, both were the most important subjects and like okay you can fail biology they would you know <laughs> okay. like a good grade anyway if you're good at Spanish or English okay. or something like that and no P of course uh, so uh, like yeah. <laughs> linguists <laughs> linguist. yeah and um, but I remember uh, doing a lot of translation uh, for example mm -hmm. in Spanish as well um, and in English, but I also remember a lot of uh, authentic texts. I right. remember learning, uh, yeah, lots of like vocabulary from there. I remember like now I, I like remember teachers like actually pointing out the vocabulary. We had authentic reading. We had um, we had like a native speaker uh, something like back right. in right, yeah, okay. Uh, and uh, in Spanish, so it was like a culture club or something. It was like an exchange oh, yeah. that teachers did. And in English, we had lots of dialogues. We had lots of role plays. Mm -hmm. I we even had like it was um, uh, it was already like it was um, like late nineties, um, and um, uh, so we had uh, a book called Project English. I think no, but no, no okay. teachers know. I don't know. Heard. It's uh, Tom Hutchinson, I think. I think he okay. also did either Headway or something. So he's okay. another. And I remember, like, for us, it was like this small TV, like, you know, black, huge thing. And there's like this uh, great English guy telling us right. about London, you know. So I, I, again, I was lucky with the school. But yes, right. the mainstream approach would have been the like, you know, uh, translation, but still, there was yeah. so much else. And uh, now, as I'm teaching beginners, I'm now also thinking that uh, I remember, like, um, for me, for at some point, teaching was uh, translating was a no-no thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe even like after CELTA, when they say you are not supposed to kind of right. use your L1 in class. And right. uh, I remember disliking translation myself very much. And uh, yeah, but then back then, like now, I'm bringing back uh, some tr translation in some sort of way in class because that works. Because sometimes people really want the direct translation of what they say in, yeah. in Russian. They need to see how it works in English because it's a yeah. different. Uh, set of words or phrase or yeah means. right right, um, right yeah so so yeah i'm i'm just wonder yeah i wonder also like with the with those i mean there's always somebody in charge of the curriculum 
and uh, how uh, and if the curriculum like uh, I'm surprised or uh, that in Indonesia is uh, the same yeah quite like so quite formal yeah and a lot of mm -hmm, like fair, this, yeah. uh, uh, kind of syllabus and uh, because um, if they do they see the progress that they students make so why I mean I don't so I work in the schools and I can tell you when I go into their classrooms no no progress is being made but they will often tell me the progress is being made so we're, we're sometimes just looking at the same students and seeing something very different um, mm. and so you know there's a something about that that perhaps I'll never fully understand that some of it might be um, that I'm missing something because I'm out I am an outsider you know I'm coming to the school I'm not, I'm not a permanent member of the faculty for example so this could be that I'm missing something I'm not getting the full picture it could be some self-defense on the part of the teacher uh, trying to kind of justify themselves um, I think it's more about um, just different perspectives in terms of what they would call progress and what I would call progress so what I think is the case is when I'm looking for progress I'm looking for communicative progress right proficiency fluency those kind of things and because the system is so formal and the teachers are so kind of bathed in that 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 whole system when they're looking for progress they're looking for higher scores and better grammatical you know doing better on the tests doing better at the the things that they're being taught and so they are making progress in terms of memorizing more grammatical rules if that's what you call progress then they're making progress for me because that's not what i want them to be doing i don't really call that progress in in, in the context that, that i'm looking for and as i said that's one of the things that becomes very difficult when i'm working with these teachers and trying trying to shift the whole mindset from eh, you're kind of looking at the wrong thing instead of looking over here you need to be looking over there uh, we need to be focused on something entirely differently if we're teaching language um, we're not teaching linguistics right it's a different they're two different things Te learning english and learning english linguistics are not not the same thing um, so i think that it's it's, it's that shift in perspective is perhaps why we we can see two very very different pictures yeah probably yeah yeah that's how you measure yeah assessment is always uh, an interesting topic right exactly exactly um and, uh, yeah go on. sorry i'm just curious I, I if you don't mind me asking about uh if um uh, in russia we study russian quite formally at school mm. and we do a lot of linguistic work um like we studied correct like not the way we study foreign language but we studied real hard and right. uh, as i said the amount of hours is the same uh, for english and russian at least it was in my school um so and i know that in england uh, yeah so like english people don't study english that much formally as we do with, with russian and uh, what about indonesia yeah well, indonesian? yeah i think it's a bit to say about both of them really i mean this is one of the things that um so i i endorse and take a very communicative approach to teaching um and you know as we've already discussed as we as we've been talking about just you know i i'm very firmly trying to move teachers away from the grammar oriented approach to to language teaching um but i also i get into the occasional bit of controversy because i think i shouldn't be controversial but apparently it is i think that teachers you know if you're an english teacher then you should have a good command and a, a good awareness and understanding of the english grammar um if you don't know the grammar well i don't think 
you know, I just think that's important. Um, that's not to say that you should be explicitly teaching it, but you should know it. Um, and one kind of response that, that often comes back to that is, well, as in, you know, native speakers uh, don't study English, they don't study grammar, so why should the non-natives? And while the sentiment I agree with, you know, I don't want the non-natives to be studying explicit grammar, but actually what seems, I don't know why so many people seem to have forgotten this from their own childhood but the fact is in England when you know as, a, as an English child growing up in England and going to an English school in England we learn grammar we have we have English classes and we learn we learn our own grammar the difference is by the time we're learning grammar in school we're already fluent in English right you if you get to fluency between kind of five and seven in your native language um, and then you know we go to school and we start learning grammar probably i don't know sort of 10 11 onwards something like that so by the time you're learning grammar in school you're already fluent um and so it's not that grammar needs to be completely sidelined completely abandoned but fluency should come before grammar um and so that's something so many english teachers from england just seem to have forgotten this part of their of their childhood. It's like you did study English grammar. Very short part. For how many years do you do that? Because I can't. I will never forget my Russian lessons at school. Oh my god, I was so yeah, bad. Yeah, that's it. I don't know. I, but, but I think I, I mean it's funny because the when when you're a speak when you're an L one speaker, it's kind of it's all relative. Anybody who's not Russian looks at Russian and thinks, my gosh, that's the most complex language. So of course it would. But then you're Russian, so it's, it shouldn't be as difficult for you as it would be for. But I I, I don't know. I mean I think. Um, in England, yeah, I think we don't spend a lot of time on it. And our English lessons are split between language and, and literature. And we spend a lot of time, more time on literature than we do on language, I think. And for me, individually, when I, I spent most of my time uh, really getting into English grammar at a level when I, when I chose English language as a subject. And at that point, you're basically doing an intro to linguistics, you know, at the A level, uh, you move into sociolinguistics and history of language and things like that. And so there, that's where I got my, uh, you know, kind of deeper study into language uh, and into grammar, which I wouldn't have got from, from regular school. That is true. But you learn, it's not, you know, you spend a, a fair amount of time learning English grammar in England. Uh, so I don't know, people seem to have forgotten that. So here in Indonesia, um, or, or as, a, as an EFL teacher, you know, I want to keep both, I want to keep that in mind. And once students start to get to a more upper intermediate advanced kind of level, um, then I'm quite comfortable to spend a little bit more time talking about grammar because they're, they're close to fluent. Um, and uh, I think that's the way to do it. Um, at that point, you know, when you've got somebody who's gone that far and they've actually made that kind of progress where they are now becoming fluent, they're usually also the people who, they, they are the students that are interested in the language on, on those other levels. They have questions to ask about the grammar. Um, and so I'm very happy kind of going down that line with them. As for learning Indonesian, their own language, um, yeah, it's very formal. Um, uh, they spend a lot of time in their literature lessons as well. So they have Indonesian literature um, and they spend a lot of time on kind of formal uh, poetry styles and uh, not a particularly creative approach. I've observed a fair few Indonesian lessons here now and uh, it's a lot of 
just the creativity of it is all very restricted. Okay, write a poem, but it must be about this topic and, you know, follow this format. And you end up kind of, the students are almost copying the poem that the teacher wrote, but switching some words in. Um, and I, you know, of course, I'm not talking about every teacher. There are some fantastic teachers, but as a, as a mainstream approach, that's, that's what it's like. Like it's yeah, it sounds very very similar to me. We have like different uh, yeah items in the curriculum, Russian and literature, uh, and uh, yeah, and I think we we had Russian for all the so we have like uh, like uh, we call them eleven, but they are basically ten levels uh, ten yeah. years of school. Okay. Yeah, we kind of skip most of schools skip the fourth uh, year. Okay. Uh, one two three five so that was uh, okay. for me so, i don't know i don't really some some schools do year four but anyway we had russian till the 11th uh, year and uh, so it's for all and a lot of like syntaxes and i, I basically it was linguistics is a lot of like uh, yeah. word analysis and uh, yeah um and um so it's really really hard to um forget for right, me yeah. and yeah we do yeah we do literature also like study poems and write poems and yeah. that's interesting that I, I actually i can see so the embassy of indonesia is like out right oh, really? really yeah so i might pop in and ask more oh, about brilliant. it yeah. yeah give them a little wave okay. <laughs> oh great <laughs> um so i want to couple of things as well about your background then so you started studying uh, psychology and then moved into language teaching was that uh, was that a, a just a, did you change your mind or was there a, was did one lead naturally into the other and what, what's the story there I would say like um, um, was the story uh, the story like I shouldn't have you know chosen psychology in the first place I guess uh, and for me, it was like, um, I was like, I, I liked languages. I, I enjoyed like everything we did, uh, apart from right. Russian, for some reason, I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, Russian was so much harder for me, but basically I think that because maybe we studied so much of linguistics there, not the language itself. Right. We right, did right. more language work with the other languages. Um, yeah, and um, um, I really wanted like to take after my grandfather. My grandfather is a neurosurgeon. Um, oh. US, yeah, and I like I think since, since like I was a child, I always wanted to become a neurosurgeon. I read lots of books on biology and how the brain wow. works and everything. And my mother, being a daughter, you know, of neurosurgeons, she really never wanted that. <laughs> I see. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like she, she was always kind of like try to dissuade me, you know, like gently like push me away from that. So basically, I guess, and um, we were maybe one of the experimental schools uh, in Moscow. Uh, so uh, when I was uh, my eighth, seventh year, eighth year at school, um, we already had a psychologist at school, a very like okay. a very young girl. She was a uni student, uh, so like doing some practice there. Okay. She, she was our like uh, she graduated from the same school, so uh, so we kind of knew her. She was like this. Uh, you know, young adults, we could always, you know, uh, come to and speak about right, our okay. problems or questions. And she did cool stuff with us. I really enjoyed what she did. And for me, like, uh, psychology was maybe the closest thing to, again, to neurosurgeon because it's about brains, you know, yeah. people. It's so wicked way. Very different yeah. approach to the same to the same piece of material, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, um, I don't know. Yeah, so, and I really, I really enjoyed it. And, um, and so, and I always thought that, like, I mean, for me, it's like, you know, when you have, like, when you live in this small, uh, ideal world, maybe. So I, I used to think that everybody speaks languages because, I mean, in our school, everybody spoke them, two languages. Okay. Like, okay. Well, 
and I didn't know that other people, you know, don't speak English when they finish. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I also like language is something practical, something you know. Uh, and I, was, yeah. I wanted at some point I wanted to be a math teacher. By the way, I was I was very good at math. <laughs> oh yeah, well, not me. Yeah. Not me. <laughs> so I like this. Yeah. So and uh, yeah, and I think like um, um, my third year university, I, I realized I'm I I don't this I like it massively. So I think it's very useful because we don't uh, I don't know being like uh, learning to be a teacher here. We don't get a lot of practical psychology. Right. So yeah. I, same here. Yeah. Background yeah. I mean, psychology is a very good stuff for background knowledge. Yeah, and, right. uh, yeah, and after university, I worked a little bit with kids, uh, and again, like there, I started teaching English. So I like I was more of a psychologist, but then I like, mm -hmm. and they, they needed an English teacher, and like it's always, oh, I need to speak English. We need an English teacher. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, work out the math, and um, yeah, and then I also worked and trained to be a business trainer. Uh, and okay. uh, yeah, so I worked there a little bit, and there was a colleague, and he like uh, he went, um, he spoke English really well too, and he kind of missed you know this experience of speaking English. And mm -hmm. one day we were like having a, a tea, or I don't know whatever we were having, and we're like, you like English, I like English, you miss English, I miss English. Why? And you're a trainer, I'm a trainer. Why don't we you know set up something uh, in English about English? And then we started running like a club or a game club, a speaking club. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. We did it for. Um, for a year, maybe two years. And then he realized, he said like, you know, I like like being a business trainer. I don't want to be an English teacher. And I realized, okay. I really want to be an English teacher. I don't want to be yeah. a business trainer. So, so that, that's the story. Okay. And then I applied for a job and they, uh, uh, they didn't uh, accept me. And they said that CELTA would massively help you. And right. um, I said, okay, I did my CELTA and here I am. <laughs> Okay. Um, so do you find now as a teacher, do you still, uh, do you find that the psychology study was valuable for, for, for the teaching? I find that, uh, so I, I the, the longer I spend in teaching, the more uh, interested I am in, in educational psychology and in development psychology. Um, do you find that what you studied there helps you as a teacher? Um, again, my university was a scientific university, so right, unfortunately so. I didn't have many practical subjects yeah, uh, but yeah, more about yeah. research and uh, data analysis and uh, stuff like that um so uh, i enjoyed everything and uh, the interesting thing is maybe it's me but uh me the memory thing yeah so i don't really remember much from university right. and i don't really remember much from school either because like now as i'm teaching russian i don't remember russian grammar at all you know oh, okay. Okay. for 10 years at school sure. so yeah, so I, I mean, it's again a practical thing. So I think when you don't apply yeah, something. That's exactly right. Yeah. The, the fact that you said it wasn't a very practical approach, I'm not surprised you don't remember much of it. I mean, that's as a, that's one of the main things that I try to um, develop with, with the teachers that I work with, and certainly in my own teaching, is um, to make it as applied as possible. When we're applying the learning, obviously, we, we just remember it so much longer and so much better. Um, and so much teaching here and I think around the world really is not applied. It's very abstract. It's very uh, theoretical. And it's no surprise that as soon as the students have taken their exam and they've got the score that they needed to get, it's all gone. And it's the same for me. After I left school, you know, I, 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 don't, I remember very little of, of the, the theory that we studied in school. But the more practical a subject is, the more you, you remember it, I think. And I think that that's... Um, 
it's just such a wasted opportunity that you can have you can have you know six years with with a group of students and then they're just they're not going to remember so much of it it seems like a, six lost yeah. years you know but then again I, I don't know maybe there is something that i do um because of that but i just don't remember it somewhere you know quite, I yeah quite possibly yeah it might be that yeah. i definitely yeah. know that maybe my like interpersonal skills uh, so mm -hmm. like the way i establish rapport with my students the mm -hmm. way i ask questions uh, there is definitely something there yeah mm -hmm. so and it's easier for me like when i want to read about something it's easier for me to find like a like a book on psychology right. because i kind of know i don't know which author yeah. yeah right right maybe um, but now for, uh, for my uh, program for teachers, yeah, for the second year of this program, I invited uh, a person who knows about psychology much more than I do. And we have practical okay. psychology for teachers okay. because basically, yeah, like it's um, um, a bit underrated, I, I guess. Yeah. So I think we actually we should know more about our learners and about ourselves yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. And just about what learning is. I think it's, yeah. you know, uh, we, we're just, I think, beginning to find out more and more that the approaches we've taken to, to learning for decades, almost centuries now, um, turns out that's not how learning works in, in, in real terms. So we're just, we're doing, we're doing the wrong thing. Um, and in many cases we're doing the opposite of what works. You know, we're going counter to what the brain processes are. Um, and the more that teachers know about that, I think the, the better it will be for everybody. But it seems it seems to be very, as you say, under under underrated, underdeveloped. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I think it's it's valuable to to incorporate that into to training into the work that you do. You said you you're teaching Russian now. Mm -hmm. Is that new yeah. for you? Is that is that is this the first time? Yes, it's the uh, no, it's not the first time. No, what am I saying? No, um, I. Uh, one of my previous jobs that so there was at some point uh, I, I'm an enthusiastic person so at some point they somebody said oh Anita we have like a new uh, Russian learner or student yeah who needs a teacher and we had several teachers who did Russian uh, teaching Russian professionally um, and they were kind of all busy or something I don't know so they needed somebody else and they said Anita would you like to do that and the I think uh, I think it was like the beginning the end of spring and they basically they needed the teacher for the end of summer so I had a little bit of time to just, you know, uh, work out what to do and how to. And I said, oh, yes, <laughs> that's what I usually say. <laughs> of course. Try, yes. <laughs> so I think also, like, I wasn't exactly, like, it wasn't very maybe ethical thing to do, but I knew uh, that the um, a student was was uh, from the UK. And I thought, okay. and he was an absolute beginner. And I thought, okay, I'll practice English a little bit. At least that's what I'm getting out of this job. <laughs> So definitely not a very ethical thing, but yeah, that was one of the reasons uh, I decided to do that. I did a little course. It was an online course on teaching Russian, absolutely useless. <laughs> Sorry, um, <laughs> that was like what was like. I do lots. I study a lot, so this was this is the top of useless education uh, I've ever got. And uh, okay. it, it was very theoretical, like extremely theoretical, right. absolutely not helpful um, to me in that case. And what I was surprised, I'm still surprised now, it's my second attempt, and I've been doing now for a year. Uh, that some like magically the English teaching skills like the just the teaching skills I guess so not the knowledge about the language but just the skills yeah. they kind of don't transfer to, so like for me they didn't transfer oh, okay to, so in English I tend to do lots of things like intuitively uh, I don't uh, I don't really maybe know why at the moment but basically when I analyzed after yeah I, okay. know, I know why I did it sure. uh, so in Russian I'm like 
okay, so what do I do next? What, so it's all like, you know, again, like you're learning from scratch. And my previous experience was, um, um, I, I can't say it was a disaster, but I think I really would like to say it was a disaster. And I think it was a very sad experience, both for me and for my students. Um, uh, first of all, like he didn't really have time to study Russian and uh, he didn't really need to because, I mean, uh, every, I mean, uh, not everybody speaks English, but he yeah. could get by basically. Yeah. And yeah. Um, he had like a top, top position in some company. Uh, so basically he didn't need English for his job. Yeah. And um, yeah, and it was, um, and he was all, it was his first month in Russia. You know, he had like a new job. It's overwhelmed. Place. Yeah, right. Sure. Yeah, sure. It's not the right time to learn the language. Yeah. And uh, he was complaining to me and that like, I felt really embarrassed because he complained to me that everybody uh, wants, uh, so he wants to practice Russian and everybody wants to speak English uh, with him. Yeah, because he's yeah. English and I was like, oh my God, I'm here for the very same reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, and then I don't, I don't remember what happened because I quit the company at some point. I don't remember um, what happened then. Um, and it was very sad because it was, uh, I mean, I guess for, for both of us, because I, also, like with the course books, Russian course books, they uh, tend to be not very communicative either. The, um, mm -hmm. So there is, so again, I guess like for me in English, like at least here in my uh, teaching context, yeah, uh, so um, everybody mostly agrees. Yeah, so, so the majority of students are learning English for communication. So that some kind of communication should be at least, you know, um, the, the prevailing in the classroom. Yeah, yeah so right. like, like this. Uh, but in Russian, uh, if you look, um, if, if you speak Russian and you look at any uh, Russian teaching groups, there will be mostly, so the majority would still think so that uh, Russian is a very grammatical language and uh, yeah, right. you should start with studying all the grammar. This is what I used to think about, like, you know, comparing English and Russian. So with English, it's very kind of easy to start uh, because basically you learn a couple of words, you learn uh, MSR and Okay, you're good to go. Right, uh, yeah, okay. yeah. So you, can, you, can kind of, you can produce correct sentences, you know? Yes. Uh, so yeah, like, yeah. And in Russian, you need to know uh, the, the cases, like German, right. yeah, we have cases. We How have, many like, cases do you have? Some uh, crazy. Oh, it depends, actually, okay. yes. <laughs> I mean, there is, uh, there is uh, there, even there, there is a little bit of disagreement. We have like okay. main cases, and then there is basically some discussion in there. What's, okay. uh, yeah, the additional ones so uh, and also like we also conjugate the verbs like in like in Spanish for example we have like the yeah. same number of six forms and we have what is polite form yeah so like so there is lots of stuff but uh, and uh, but um, now why I'm teaching uh, Russian now we're experimenting it's a very long experiment for a year now, but we're still experimenting uh, with uh, Andrew Walkley um, yeah you had you, you met with you uh, yeah. the other day, yeah. so yeah, they're both authors yeah. of yeah. Uh, um, yeah, and the outcomes book. So, uh, yeah, last year, uh, Andrew was, was doing a seminar here in Russia in Krasnoyarsk, okay. and I was there. We we're having a beer in a bar later after one of his training days, and uh, uh, yeah, so somebody said, like, you can't teach Russian lexical, and we're like, why not? And then we started talking, and here we are now. Yeah, experimenting. Yeah, okay. This experience is absolutely different. Yeah. Maybe basically I realized you can start speaking Russian from the very sure. first. I mean, it strikes me that you must be able to. I mean, one of the things that I do, one of the, I suppose the foundation really of what I do in language teaching and, and then trying to extrapolate from this principle into other subjects 
but with the language in particular, um, is to try and spend more time following the acquisition process, trying to recreate acquisition in the classroom. Um, and you know, whatever language you speak, whether it's English or the slightly more structured European languages or something like Russian or Turkish or something like you know, the, the Chinese languages, whatever language you speak, no matter how complex it might be, uh, babies still learn the same way. Right? Every baby learns their language lexically. No, even Russian children are not studying uh, cases and grammar at, at, at sort of, you know, 18 months of age, right? So, I mean, there's got to be that, that, that lexical approach. It has to be there. There has to be a way of doing it. Uh, yeah, I would still like, uh, because I think that we need some research, but still like babies and adults will learn differently. Oh, yeah, uh, of maybe course. Not. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But also, I guess, with, with the amount of time uh, yeah, we have for learning yeah. the language. So a Russian baby being raised in Russia would hear much more Russian uh, course, than yeah. Andrew would, uh, being right. in London. Yeah, so maybe that's what, that would be the first thing. I tend to think that that's the biggest factor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but what's, uh, so basically what you said uh, earlier today, yeah, so what we're kind of doing with the lexical approach, I, I think that's the, that's the same pattern. So at the moment when student has enough uh, material, like enough language in, in their head, we could actually have a look at the structure. Right, uh, yeah, right. So at some point, yeah, so he would ask me, okay, I can see like similar pattern here, what it is now, right. this genitive case. Yeah, right. one of the, our six main cases. Yeah, so, uh, and like tell him a little bit about that. So yeah, so basically uh, kind of, uh, can follow that the learner and basically you're given the structure i don't know as an adult i also like structure i like grammar yes. charts as a yeah learner. that's it right yeah well it's no surprise you're a language teacher right <laughs> yeah so and and this works and well like uh first I, I guess the first thing for me was to to let go of this idea so i, I guess maybe where, where the problem lies with um uh with the russian teaching russian yes yeah? so is that teachers would normally expect correct sentences even when they're kind of trying not to focus on grammar yeah but basically yeah. in russian if you're ex trying to experiment with language it's practically impossible to produce a correct sentence because when right, they change okay. the word order the cases change and uh, yeah so with english it's, i think in the beginning it's a bit easier yeah to yeah, follow like pattern because yeah, right. yeah the ending they have yeah it sounds like that's probably true yeah yeah, yeah. But, and lots of uh, Russian teachers are concerned with fossilized mistakes, you know, so like right, you teach them now. But they always forget all kind of endings. I can't say that my student would repeat, you know, the same mistake all the time. No, there's no chance because they're, oh, they're always uh, changing, you know, those endings. And at right. least like now he knows that and he can feel now, like he's, he changed the preposition and says, yeah, yeah, there should be something different. Yeah, and he right. might play and uh, sometimes he would guess uh, You've yeah, got six to choose from, right? So well, I'll try that one. That's not right. Yeah. No, you have more than six. <laughs> so easy. No, um, there is because there is lots of you know where the words that don't follow the pattern and stuff. Yeah, so, cool. right, 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 right. Like yeah. So uh, but basically, this I would say this this is it. The first thing let let go. This uh, you know uh, maybe controlled thing. Yeah. So yeah. The, the other thing as well, just to. Just, just on the same point that this idea of accuracy. So this is another thing in, uh, see how this compares to, to between English and Russian perhaps because the you know, accuracy is, is a goal, um, but fluency is the, the kind of the primary goal, right? And if somebody can communicate uh, 
fluently and, and, and intelligibly, that's more important than accuracy. But of course, we all hold accuracy up as kind of a, the ultimate goal on some level. But in English, it's, you can make a lot of mistakes and a lot of inaccurate, grammatically inaccurate sentences and yet still be understood. Uh, with everything that you said about Russian, um, formulating an accurate Russian sentence sounds like it might be a very difficult thing to do. Um, or there might be a lot of mistakes that can be made, but is it still communicative? Is it still understandable if I make a mistake and I choose the wrong word endings and I get the wrong, but someone can still understand me, presumably. I mean, it depends how many mistakes you will make, yeah? So the, I mean, it's not about, um, I want, um, I don't think that if the student uh, produces a uh, Say incorrect language, uh, but this is something we never, you know, talked about. Something we didn't learn, so it's not a mistake, right? It's experiment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the mistake is only I don't know. I explained this a thousand times, and there's still, you know, so this would be maybe more of a mistake to me. No, that's the same here. Basically, uh, I mean, it's maybe the endings are maybe in a way like articles. You know, they they sometimes change. Uh, that's I mean, there there can be communicative situations where. The article is like super important and yeah uh, yeah of course yeah right. okay yeah but then again the general context might help or something so i would say the endings are they're not conveying that much meaning yeah but um like but, but sometimes you can just uh, earlier today we had a lesson and uh, um so he was speaking about um uh, his, uh, his friend uh, a woman and like uh, something and then he said the word like did or went or something but he used them like masculine Ending. Okay. And I wasn't sure, I, I really, I didn't, I wasn't sure if he's speaking about himself already or still about okay. the friend. So I just okay. asked again. Yeah, there can be. Right. But uh, that's, that's manageable. Mm, I, I guess our, like, um, the, the thing with fluency, I'm still not sure myself. I have some students, and I guess, like, every teacher has them who's, uh, who are super fluent and super inaccurate, and yeah. there is nothing nothing can be done there. Uh, yeah. most, I, uh, most of them don't really care. I mean, so that's their choice if they're adults. Um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound, I don't know, it doesn't sound horrible to me, maybe because I'm not like um, a teacher initially. So I came to teaching later. Uh, for right. me, why, why also, why English? Because I'm and, uh, not Spanish or I don't know, it just happens. Uh, so yeah. anyway, for me, um, English helped me, like, you know, discover this amazing world, let's say, but sounds harsh. <laughs> but I, um, I started doing lots of uh, international volunteer projects. And basically, at that time, my English was maybe P2, maybe okay. something like that. So I learned a lot of English, like, there as well. But it, like, also opened the world, you know, that you can communicate. So for me, for me, communication was first. That's yeah, why I did English. So people, you know, could go out of their you know familiar yeah. space and discover sure. the world um so that's why to me as well yeah so yeah, first, yeah, yeah, if you sure. have something to say and if the, the message is interesting people would listen to you no matter how many mistakes you make no matter like uh, how you sound if your voice is too high or too low pronunciation whatever yeah, yeah. So if people don't like you i mean that's, that's the other thing that nobody <laughs> even speaks yeah. the language but <laughs> that they don't like you or or maybe you're uh, topic is boring yeah so but you sure. speak very accurately so uh, it really depends on the context but still yeah there is this thing that um for like you know maybe fast speakers like i am it's always fluency over accuracy yeah where it's right. faster and faster but and uh, um of course if maybe if you have there's still um 
I don't know. If, I don't know. Maybe it's a bit different for natives and non-natives still. I don't really know. But if you hear somebody making mistakes, I think for, if, if I hear somebody who speaks Russian and I know that not the native speaker is like, whoa, yeah. that's already. <laughs> right. And <laughs> also, I think yeah. there, are some, there are some cultural differences there. I mean, I talk uh, I talked about this here in Indonesia. Um, in my experience, it's been the case that, you know, if you're, it's hard to say, I mean, you can talk on the country level and on the individual level and of course there are lots of individuals who won't fit what I'm about to say but I've, I think in England um, if somebody is uh, speaking English um, and they're clearly a, you know an L2 speaker and they make mistakes um, they choose you know the wrong verb tense or something like that um, then you will I think kind of meet them halfway you know you'll fill in the gaps you'll try and do the work in your head to understand what they're trying to say and if something isn't clear you'll either kind of work it out or you'll just ask um and so i think i don't know it seems to come relatively naturally uh, to us in in the uk to um to, to to do that to kind of meet them halfway where here in indonesia um my experience uh, learning indonesian early on for example is that if i just kind of mispronounced a word um, I would be met with utter confusion because um, I, you know, miss the wrong vowel in a word or something like that, and it'd just be completely. Oh, what are you trying to say? What are you trying? Uh, or, or, or the, the a lot of laughter. Now, Indonesians as a people, they laugh a lot. Uh, they smile a lot. They laugh a lot. They are very friendly for that reason, but also it can come across as being, you know, sort of quite. Uh, quite disdainful if you make a mistake and the response is laughter that's not particularly encouraging and so i think there are some cultural differences there as well um it sounds like in russia perhaps you, you the culture is a little bit more forgiving maybe as well maybe maybe just me no i think it's just like manly yeah because um maybe actually yeah there's also like a bit of a problem of like maybe like a non-native language teachers english teachers because um as like Speaking English is more or less like a very common thing, generally. Right. So uh, when I speak English and my English is, is good, I now being a teacher, I kind of I know it is. But sure. I, I rarely hear somebody tell me, "Oh, I need that your English is so good," uh, because I mean okay. that's something that's expected from me. Yeah. Uh, right. But for example, I also speak Spanish, and I You're used to amazed by that. Spanish. My Spanish used to be better. I now yeah. it's definitely not. And uh, but every time I speak Spanish, somebody says, "Wow, like I need a hablas español." Muy bien. like yeah yeah but that's yeah. like it's very nice to nice thing to hear so, yeah no, like, I, I should say actually yeah just because in case i in case i come off a little bit unfair perhaps i should also say that the indonesians you only really have to say two or three words in indonesian and they're they're amazed you know, like, oh wow you speak indonesian and then when i was when i was beginning to learn when i'd just been here for for a few weeks or so um you know you just kind of say a few words a greeting or something like that and then they would just launch off in entire entire conversations in Indonesian, and I go, oh no no, that's those are the three words that I can speak. That's it. <laughs> um, so I must, you know, the the other side of what I said, I, just just to, yeah. not to be unfair, is they're you know they're very kind of um, congratulatory as well. They're very impressed when you make the effort. Um, and I think it was similar to what you said earlier when you were talking about one of your first students. You know, a lot of the um, the English speaking expats here in Indonesia do not make the effort because they work in an international company with other expats. They live in a particular part of town where all the expats live. Um, they use English for their, for their work and their life all day, every day. They don't have any real need to learn Indonesian, even though they live here. Um, and so they, they don't. 
Um, and so when, when, you know, when somebody does make the effort, um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's well met though. You know, that's, that's definitely true. So it's like, I guess it's the same, same here, uh, but I was like now, as now I follow several um, uh, groups for teachers of Russian as a foreign language. And sometimes somebody like a very beginner teacher would ask a question about like, again, maybe fluency over accuracy and stuff. And there's, so there's a lot of uh, comments like, uh, I mean, no, you should learn grammar first because if you speak with mistakes, everybody will think right. you're stupid and nobody will want to talk to you. <laughs> and so there is, I mean, there, and the, the, these are teachers and they're teachers who are, um, I guess, uh, interested in professional development. That's why they follow this kind of group. So they're just right. not, uh, that, that's my assumption i don't know got there, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah but and there's still quite a lot of that um i i yeah. think in um but i i must be honest i kind of uh, maybe a little bit arrogant or something yeah so i don't uh, so uh, this this time i wanted to like to do it uh my way maybe like like translating my experience of, uh, of mm. teaching english like and into so teaching russian mm. um actually because basically there is anyway there is no book for that there is yeah Right, okay. Russian uh, course book. So I try not to read too much about like the way they, uh, the way Russian is taught. Yeah. So yeah. maybe so I'm now like now after a year, uh, like I, I think I'm ready to to go that deeper. Um, okay. Yes, yeah, so I, I definitely need to buy a book like a grammar course for teachers because at some point Andrews become uh, better at knowing knowing cases. <laughs> Because for him, yeah, because, oh, yeah, it's, it's surprising how, like, you don't really remember and you don't know how your language works. Yeah. And at some point, you forget. And so, but the most times, again, it's like, it's not helpful. So there are some patterns and, like, we analyze several patterns with some preposition, uh, prefixes. And uh, sometimes they, there are some words that work in a different way. Just, mm, okay. and it's like, and I'm dreading this question of why or I need to continue. Yeah. Yeah, oh my God. Like yeah. at some point, I was like, "No, I think I was about to start crying." <laughs> so Andrew doesn't ask me more questions. <laughs> yeah, because you know. <laughs> but now that you've been uh, running this experiment, if you like, and you've been you've been trying to bring the the lexical English approach into your Russian teaching, uh, are you enjoying teaching Russian Russian more now than you were the first time around? Do you think you'll ever become a Russian teacher? Is that is that your next career path or? Um, I don't really know. So with my first like that student many years ago, I remember I remember uh, writing a post on Facebook like I will never teach Russian again. <laughs> so there was. Now I'm considering it. I'm um, okay. I'm, I'm really enjoying it because it's like um, I don't know. So it's, it's really it's just emotionally different, I guess, when somebody's uh, uh, learning your language. Also, yeah, uh, I like uh, yeah. So I like teaching English because it brings. I like, people closer because sure, still, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, the, the language that we all, all use, but, uh, yeah, with Russians, like I get a bit like also to share my culture, maybe to break some yeah. stereotypes about mm -hmm. Russian culture. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. And I do not think I will be teaching Russian. I don't really know. I'm still like <laughs> overwhelmed with my students. That's the, uh, that's enough for now because now I kind of like, you can't do everything. Yeah. Because I'm now like to uh, have right. my, program for teachers so basically it takes all of my time and uh, uh the funny thing is that right now i have only one student and this is andrew and i'm teaching him russian so when basically <laughs> in the end of our talk i said i'm an english teacher maybe i lied <laughs> 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 really 
because I had to let, let go of all of my students and uh, right, maybe I'll, right, I'll go right. back in September. Sure. Yeah, but it's so, totally different now. But you taught, you taught a little bit of not English as well, right? It's a little, a little bit of Indonesian. I've done it a couple of times. Usually it's been if I'm doing, when I've done, when I've had corporate English classes for a company, um, where I've been teaching English to the staff and then they have a foreign CEO or a foreign director or something and the di so the director wants to learn Indonesian. Um, so I would never, you know, I would never kind of promote myself as an Indonesian teacher because I'm already in the institution or I'm already in the company and somebody wants it. So I've, I've taught some beginner Indonesian to some, uh, some newcomers, uh, you know, expats, foreigners. Um, I've done a couple of those. Um, and, uh, yeah, just use the lexical approach, um, which is very rare here anyway. So to walk into the classroom or, or, or more accurately their office, you know, because I was teaching them in their office probably, to walk into their office and speak only Indonesian to them as soon as I walked through the door, they'd be a little bit taken aback, but, you know, they kind of get into the routine of it and just like it, just like you do with English. Um, and uh, because they're living here and because they've got the motivation to learn so that they can communicate with their staff or whatever, um, it generally went quite well, but I never really went much beyond you know kind of elementary level learning and because they didn't really want to either by the time they'd reached enough to be able to kind of basically come to work say good morning to their staff in the morning kind of go and buy some food at the canteen or whatever once they got to that point they always sort of became increasingly busy and they'd start postponing lessons until eventually the, the course would be over so i never really got beyond teaching the elementary level um and I, I wouldn't be comfortable trying to teach at the uh the intermediate level i'm quite fluent in indonesian and i do translation work and things like that but i don't think i would be comfortable teaching it much beyond kind of intermediate I think that's a different why thing. why not um because um i'm quite fluent in indonesian but i know that there are a lot of inaccuracies when i speak uh, as a language, it's quite forgiving. Um, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes the people are a bit less forgiving than the languages. So um, you might kind of be met with some confusion. But at the level I'm at now, um, it's very rare that I'll make a, a mistake that affects the communication. Um, but I still make quite a lot of, you know, inaccuracies, the wrong word endings or things like that. The Indonesian language is very kind of modular in that sense. You know, there's a lot of morphology where you're putting bits of words together. Um, and so I'll, I often make mistakes there. Um, uh, but it doesn't really cause too much trouble. But if I were to try to teach it at that level, I just I would certainly be teaching too many inaccuracies. I wouldn't be able to really avoid it. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that once you get past the the elementary, early, you know, lower intermediate, I think that's probably the, the limit that I'd have there. So like B two from what what you were saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, lower kind of the the uh, breakthrough kind of boundary B one B two breakthrough, perhaps something like that. Be probably about as far as I'd want to go, really. And still, like, so uh, yeah. Did it, did you feel differently, like teaching English and Indonesian, or is it just me so emotional? <laughs> really. Um, no, I think because I very specifically took the decision that I was going to approach it the same way. You know, I've been, I've been teaching by that point, I'd been teaching English for I guess four or five years, maybe before I had my first uh, experience of teaching Indonesian. Um, and because at that point I was also just beginning to get into teacher training. So I'd not only had I been teaching for four or four, well, four or five years in Indonesia, plus some, some kind of 
some teaching that I did in, in the UK before. And so I'd, I'd been a, a, an educator in one way or another for, um, you know, I guess five or six years, something like that. And I was just beginning to start training. So I'd spent a lot of time thinking about teaching. I wasn't just teaching. I was thinking about teaching. I was writing about teaching. Um, and so when I started teaching Indonesian, I kind of was very conscious of how I was approaching it, I think. Um, so, so for me, I was just determined to teach Indonesian the same way that I had been teaching English. Um, so I don't think there was much difference for me on in that way now so i think you you've mentioned your work with teachers and i've mentioned it a couple of times there. you just see in the background there you've got your teachers teach teachers uh board so tell us a little bit about that i also have a bottle oh nice very nice <laughs> new merch um yeah this is also like um i guess i don't know um about um, yeah, a year and a half ago, uh, as I used to be a business trainer and we taught a lot of you know goal setting and planning and stuff like that, and I was really into that. But last year, I decided like I will just you know let it go, stop controlling things because basically right. my plan for last year, uh, I mean for last autumn was uh, to start um, like a, like maybe boutique English school, like a little okay. uh, English school for. Uh, people who want to learn English for adults and like beginner elementary levels so my favorite uh, you know uh, group for now and uh, yeah so but I decided like just to uh, follow uh, go with the flow and it somehow happened that now uh, after a year yeah I have like a, a center for English teachers and we have uh, um, around uh, 220 students right now yeah. uh, teachers um, so it all started with the, I, I tried actually to do a very similar thing about five years ago, but that didn't work. And okay. it worked last year. So the idea is like, I was basically, um, you know, and there when you are trying to do your own business and you start doing a course and they tell you like, you should describe your target audience, you, should, you know, yeah. 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 So that annoying stuff where I don't know who they are, where they eat. I don't know what's, <laughs> what Instagrams they follow. So yeah, right, yeah. I've done those. Yeah. You know what I mean? Actually, um, actually I only just did it really actually kind of sat down and did it for the first time, literally a week ago. And I must admit, I found yeah. it really enlightening. I'd never really done it before. I just had this very amorphous idea in my head. And I thought, no, I don't need to sit down and write it because I know. And when I sat down, literally a week ago, because I was doing a, setting up an online platform, I literally sat down for the first time and started writing out the sentences. My, I actually found it quite enlightening. It was really, really opened, opened my eyes a little bit, I must admit. That was, that was a surprisingly useful for me, I think. I agree, it is useful, but I guess maybe for me, because I, I try a different project and different things, so yeah. I didn't really know my audience back then, but uh, like basically this project was designed for me, so I'm basically the persona I'm basing right, this. Right, okay, uh, yeah, sure. So this is the easiest way, yeah? And first of all, it's good, so at least one person is happy, you know, at least you have one <laughs> yeah. customer. If you can reach one person, that's what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so uh, I don't like, uh, I realized that as an English teacher, uh, I don't actually uh, speak English much. Uh, I mean, right. and I started okay. speaking more, but yet again, it's conferences, maybe talks like about mm. work like this, and I love speaking about job, but sometimes, uh, for example, I, like, I would speak about art with my students, and as a teacher, of course, I contribute, but I can't really share everything I want to say about art yeah, or yeah. diet or, I don't know, the nude or discuss some films. I don't have this space because it's either the classroom or a conference where you meet people, but basically normally you speak about uh, like yeah, right. or yeah, right, yeah, right, right. or something. And uh, we don't have it. And how can I actually teach my students if I never had those conversations myself? 
right, sure, yeah, connected. Yeah. But basically, the first reason is very selfish. I just want to tell my stories because I have loads of them and I want to share them. And I want to improve my English. So I think when you're learning a language, yeah, you'll be doing it forever. Um, right. Because there was always will be some more natural language that you can learn. And there's always like some maybe it's post, maybe it's like fossilized tiny mistakes uh, that yeah, you have sure. if you if you don't have other teachers around nobody will ever correct you that's very true yeah that's very true yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah so basically my first idea was uh, just to have a group of teachers take the outcomes advanced book and like kind of work through it together but then also like i've been uh working with freelancers uh so uh in russia uh, being a freelancer like a private teacher is a very popular thing because it's a very easy okay. thing to do uh, okay. It doesn't work uh, like so. The taxes are quite low, and uh, I mean, right. you okay. always have to pay taxes. Let's say it like yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you choose to do that, they're uh, they're very very low, and uh -huh. lots of teachers do that. So there's a huge market of freelance teachers, and I've been working with freelancers for a while, telling like how to set up your business, how to pay taxes, okay. and, like okay. business and legal stuff. And uh, so, and I realized that again, what, as a freelancer, what I miss that even like as teachers work, I don't really know what happens in other teachers' classrooms. So I right. talked to you, for example, but I will never know what you do in your class. Maybe sure, <laughs> you yeah, do something right. really opposite, <laughs> and you yeah. know, it's feeling all the time, or, or I don't know really how you do that. Yeah. So I will. I need. I, I'd like to see. That's that's a very interesting thing to do. Um, yeah. yeah. And nobody will actually know. Uh, again, I'm a freelancer. Nobody supervises my classes. Yes. I just to just sorry to interrupt. I mean, I I found the same. I've been teaching freelance one way or another for about probably seven or eight years now. Um, mm -hmm. The last time I was teaching in a formal institution, you know, with an organization and a hierarchy, it was like a long time ago. Um, and even when I was teaching at the, 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 the university, which is just, just, just over a year ago, um, I was kind of given a very free reign. You know, I was uh, just kind of told, you go do what you want to do, um, which was great. But it means, yeah, I've not had any real formal supervision for a very long time. Yeah, I know what that's mm. like, yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> right. no, so that's one of also the reasons because at some point, of course, maybe observation is something that everybody's dreading, but we secretly want it as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, pleasure. I mean, but we want to know what we do and somebody to appreciate the effort because our students yeah. like us, but they don't really know what we, we are doing yeah, there yeah, for them. Yeah. They can't. What What I like about like teaching Andrew as well because yeah, it's one to one and he, he yeah, really can give nice. you that kind of feedback. Yeah. Ah, like yeah. yeah. He just, yeah so basically that was like a group of like ideas like uh going through my head and i didn't really know if somebody would be interested i just wanted one like group for for myself in moscow and um I, I, like there was also a friend who was interested and he wrote a post about it and so the idea was that he would write the post and i would like come up like with a uh, subscription form or something like to, to find this group and then the first like night uh about 60 teachers applied and wow. registered their interest let's say and they're like oh god oh my god so it's a bit and most of them were not from moscow and like i, I had a feeling like i can't i can't you know tell them sorry it's a moscow-based thing and i thought okay i can organize a group for myself in moscow and i can do some online groups and so we, we had two groups in moscow and we had like uh, four online groups or so in the end so it all like started like that then i went um uh, away uh, for for about a month, and I was kind of hoping that it's like you know we'll just stop doing whatever they're doing, and I could open my school in September. Just uh, okay. and when yeah. then I uh, came back, like they they were still doing it. So the um, the idea is that basically we take the course book, 
uh, we have a group of teachers studying together, 10, 10, I mean, 10 is maximum. And each month, one person from this group becomes a teacher for this particular group with like, okay. using the same book. So okay. we have one lesson per week, uh, a 90 minute lesson. Um, so basically that was the initial idea. Yeah, and we all study, uh, we, we enjoy the process. We have somebody, uh -huh. you know, guiding us through the, through the book and one person, uh, but then like for 10, for nine months, you are free. Yeah, because the other nine right. teachers okay. yeah. Yeah. as well. So, and also in the end of each lesson, the teacher can ask about some feedback. Yeah, and the basically okay. sometimes in the middle of the lesson, even like, guys, I wasn't sure, yeah, about this exercise. Oh, okay, uh, well, that's great. Just interrupt. Yeah, so it's not a formal situation, yeah, sure. because the student, your students know, I mean, your teaching context here, so it's totally all right uh, to ask sometimes when you when you feel that you need or, or something. So, and, um, so in a year, it turned out in like a more complex program, I would say. So basically now it's a program for three years because again, it's based on outcomes. And if you, yeah, if you teach with these books, you know that there is so much language that even in three years, when you teach once, uh, once a week. So uh, like with the year and a half, we did it twice. So yeah. like, you know, very regular schedule. Um, so of the book and with the same idea, but now we're also, something that I really enjoy and maybe particularly proud of. We are uh, helping the teachers of the month, we call them teachers of the month, mm -hmm. yeah, the ones that, who are doing the teaching, uh, prepare for those lessons because mostly the teachers who join the project, um, they are uh, amazing enthusiasts, but uh, for, for most of them, for the, the majority of them, for me as well, as a, I'm the persona we're basing this on, I'd never taught uh, advanced or like proficient uh, okay. learners it's, a, it's something I won't ever do. I don't feel like teaching right, okay, uh, sure. a proficient group of uh, language uh, uh, users uh, or even advanced, I don't know. Uh, so uh, most of them uh, teach only kids or teenagers. So it's like a really totally new experience. Right, okay. yeah. And they I don't really know much about the lexical approach, for example, and how to work yeah. with this particular right, person. Okay. So we are preparing them on like on top of everything that we have. So we start their preparation like in a month. Yeah, so uh, like they join the specific chat where I have like colleagues who take care of them. And we okay. have several like Delta trainers on the, I mean, okay. on my team, yeah, who help as well. And uh, I'm always there. And we have like, we have five meetups uh, for them where we plan lessons together. So this is oh, really okay, like yeah. a very unique context. I'm sorry, I'm breaking, but I really like it. No, no, idea. it's brilliant, yeah. <laughs> Because I like imagine that we're teaching the same pages with you like tomorrow yeah. and tonight and today we could go over these pages you share your ideas what you want to do I share mine you yeah. know and we uh, and if where for example I'm not sure about some language like you did yet I could ask my colleagues or about some exercise so we do the planning together we also have like an info session one of these uh, meetups uh, Hugh or Andrew like join our teachers and also you know you can have some a contribution from the authors of the book uh, you're working right, with. Yeah, yeah. And, wow. uh, yeah. So we have five of these. So we have five because like four of them are to prepare the lessons and the final one is like to summarize and reflect on your experience. So this is a special like more and we also have like a special module with video, how to work with feedback. Yeah. So all, okay. all everything that's important for the project but basically for the teaching thing. And yeah, and we also have like webinars, speaking clubs for the broader community. So basically that's um and just like yesterday i was reading a book um 
on like uh, advising and supporting teachers. Uh, so because teacher like development something I'm now into. Maybe that's why I'm not going to be a, an amazing Russian teacher. A uh, teacher I could have become, but now uh, teacher training. Um, right. More, more interesting. More of a focus, yeah. Yeah, and I realized that I, because I, I mean, it's just the second year, so we're planning it on the go because it all started quite spontaneously. Uh, so our first year is more about the, like the, you know, showing the ropes and the beginning of the like some lexical approach. Second mm -hmm. year is all practical psychology and more on the lexical approach. And I know now that third year, because we'll be finishing the book, will be about materials development because I really like to develop materials and then give them to teachers to teach each other to test those materials. Great, uh, yeah. on the and uh, and maybe and profession um and yes like teachers teacher development yeah because by now by the third year they would have you know already had like certain experience of analyzing other uh teachers lessons and giving feedback so we uh, i guess there will be uh, a little bit more input there and we could you know by the end of this project the teachers will be able to maybe choose from what they like to focus on or to work i don't know okay. it's, uh, uh, directors of studies and advising, maybe supporting. Right. Others. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So, in a nutshell. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Wow. Yeah, it sounds great. Um, <clears throat> yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a unique approach. There's a couple of things there. I mean, I, that the idea of them planning planning together in a group, I think, is brilliant. Um, it's something that when I, because I work with schools, so I, I work with. Um, the whole faculty in a school so it might be you know some of the bigger schools that i work with they have you know 60 70 teachers on the faculty um and so in in, in any subject they've got four or five teachers for one subject um and i always find in that context that the staff room the teachers room is such a wasted resource because um you know teachers never talk to each other about teaching they're either gossiping about the students that they don't like or they're sat there silently um, and you've got a, a room full of other teachers, experienced teachers, and nobody's sharing their experience or anything. And so I always, whenever I'm working with a school, I always try to get the teachers to be doing more together and, and planning in groups, um, especially, you know, when they're teachers from the same subject, to, to, to get together at least once a week and, and, and either plan together or review each other's lesson plans together. Um, and the school that I'm working with right now, I was impressed when I first got there because it sounded like they were doing that. Oh yeah, the English teachers all plan together, the math teachers all plan together. Oh, brilliant. They've never come to a school where that's the case before without me having to instill it. Uh, so I was impressed by that. And then I later found out that what was actually happening was uh, each week one teacher plans the lesson for all the teachers and they all just kind of take turns planning that. Like, yeah, that's not really what I'm looking for. Um, so I think that's a brilliant, I think that's a brilliant approach that you're taking. Thank, thank, thank you. Uh, uh, the teachers are enjoying it where like it's a little bit hard again when like because all classes are different so basically I designed the pacing guide but now it's like where we're uh, I don't know we'll see if it works yeah because there's like this group didn't have enough time for listening so what they do they skip the listening or they do it the next time mm -hmm. you know like and they yeah, right. like, go in the same you know at the same pace together for three yeah, years we'll yeah, see yeah. how Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so it's all very experimental. And I was surprised, like, uh, um, in um, the, this spring, like, a, um, a guy who, whose native language is English, he also joined us. We were like, oh, wow, that's, that's interesting. And he said, like, <laughs> yeah, because he was interested, like, in the talk, yeah? Yeah, because yeah, basically, right, sure. he doesn't also get a chance to talk about this stuff, you know? Yeah, With, yeah, uh, yeah. And also, of course, the observations and et cetera. So, that's it. I mean, I, I find it's difficult as a teacher to find a community of teachers who 
think and talk and are interested in teaching. Um, mm -hmm. So I work in schools with large faculties of, you know, dozens of teachers in a faculty. But the reality is, and I, this, this I find quite saddening. This is, I think, I think of this as a problem. Um, you know, teachers, the majority of the teachers that I meet at least, they don't really think about what they're doing. They don't think about teaching. They, they, they teach, it's their job to teach. Um, they're kind of going through the motions. They're not really kind of analyzing, assessing, evaluating what they do on the kind of level, you know, this conversation that you and I are having now, um, there's, there's kind of an, an idealistic part of me that thinks, oh yeah, this is what all teachers should be having these kinds of conversations. You know, cause I, that's what I think teaching should be is, is a very kind of, uh, a philosophical passionate kind of shouldn't be a teacher. Or how could you be a teacher if you're not really you know, passionate about teaching and learning and education? But the reality is, you know, a lot of teachers aren't for a lot of teachers, where especially in a country where I am, you know, where there's, there's, just hundreds and hundreds of thousands of teachers around the country for, for, for tens of millions. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a population here of, of over 300 million, I think around 300 million people. So there's just so many schools, so many teachers, and for a large percentage of them, it's just a job. It's not some special life calling. Um, and, uh, you know, that my, my idealism there has been tempered somewhat over the years that I realized not all teachers do approach it that way. And so for me, you know, I often find it difficult to find a group of teachers with whom I can have these kinds of conversations. You're welcome. There it is. There it is. Yeah. Anytime. No, seriously. I guess, I think I have a feeling that, again, I might be rather idealistic, but in, in Russia, we have like a really uh, great community of teachers. Like I'm not thinking about my problem, but basically there are lots of teachers i actually like we always speak about our job we always speak about teaching okay. so we have to learn not to speak about you know teaching right okay. so even like we're discussing like anything something in the book within i because I, I studied in one of the groups and every time like we tend to like oh no 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 let's go back to the topic enough speaking about teaching um so that also might be a problem but what you said uh, made me also think that i've been because um I'm, I'm not trained to be like a teacher trainer because I'm not mm, a teacher trainer. Mm, mm, uh, yeah. I was something like that because when I was a business trainer, I had trainees, uh, etc. Similar experience, but still different. Yeah. And what I was uh, surprised uh, by two things. I don't know if it's the same, maybe in Indonesia, maybe you saw it somewhere as well. So first of all, for some reason in Russia, uh, like, like teachers are kind of taught uh, not to follow the course books the way they are. Say they would mess this all up, you oh, know, okay. start finalize the go first. And basically, like even like when we we're planning this, they would like you know add. So for example, outcomes is packed with material, right. and so I never add anything much, right, you know, okay. there apart from personal input and uh, I don't know maybe a very occasional article when it's like totally necessary to share or something. Uh, but they would actually like design their whole uh, lesson, their whole material just around the topic is there. That's the first thing. But the second thing that is more maybe worrying as well is that they, some of them, they can't explain why they do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think uh, certainly in Indonesia, um, the the trend is to just follow the book. Um, but in a, I mean, very much just kind of turning the pages it really is just the, from from the beginning of the lesson to the end of the lesson it's just kind of doing exercises in the book and then the next page and another exercise so that's really taking it to the extreme um mm -hmm. where i would like to see a little bit more deviation away from the book because um it's just not engaging the students they are just sitting completing filling filling in pages in the book you know so um i, I one of the things i 
often am working with teachers do is to say, how can we get this out of the book? How can we get the students' uh, faces out of the book for 10 minutes, you know, and turn it into an interactive activity, turn it into something practical, because uh, that's often missing. Um, but no, I mean, I talked about this with, with Hugh um, just uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago. This is something we talked about. Obviously, he's a he's a an author um so we we talked about this there and um yeah i think i might have a little bit more of a loose relationship to to textbooks than uh, than you perhaps uh certainly mm -hmm. than hugh as well um but I, I think uh i'm i'm i've been working to find the happy medium i spend a lot of time with teachers um on trying to just help them develop the creativity to create materials um mm -hmm. but then i also want to rein in some teachers who are asking okay so how do i design a curriculum well, you don't <laughs> you know you, the, the, the curriculum design is not an easy thing that it's not something that a teacher can just do it's its own field of study and so there's i think there's you know you've got to kind of rein in the the wild ideas of writing your own curriculum and writing your own syllabus um but then exercise a little bit more creativity than just turning pages in the book for for 45 minutes and then the bell rings um somewhere in the middle there there must be a happy medium i think yeah no i totally agree so it also depends on the context and the book i guess yes but, yeah, of course, uh, yeah. but like so i like now as i'm teaching russian and i don't have a course book i appreciate course books even more because it saves a lot of time. So yeah. now I spend like twice, I mean, I need practically the same amount of time to prepare for the lesson. Sure, and to yeah. Teach it. yeah, I so, imagine, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, I guess like I'm, I'm all for course books in the way that if it's a good course book, it saves you time and the yeah. topic is interesting. So that's why I really to, like, I like outcomes because for me, it works for me. Right. Like for me, every lesson is like uh, full of interaction just because the topics maybe are engaging for the teacher. And yeah. that's why the students basically maybe because but maybe because it's just really good topics relevant for my yeah. students as well, or both. Yeah, I mean, it took me a long time to find uh, to find textbooks that I was happy with. I spent a long time, you know, teaching in various different schools where they had chosen this book and that was the book for the and, and there are often yeah. books that i didn't like um you know there's there's a very kind of standard approach that so many textbooks take where when you've seen one you've kind of seen them all um and i often found them to be not particularly inspiring um but again as as i talked about with hugh um it was when i found the national geographic books uh, i guess about two or three years ago um, mm -hmm. was when I suddenly found a textbook that I could endorse, you know, and the, 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 the approach that they take is just so unique. It's very different from the standard ELT material uh, format that, that almost every other publisher is putting together. Um, you know, once you've found a book that is that creative and that's that, then, then I can really get behind following the book in a, in a more, uh, in a more, still not rigid, but, you know, just, just kind of using the materials that are there for you because they're, 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 they're so much more valuable yeah yeah and it's like if it's taking uh, i think you said it somewhere as well that it takes them like uh half a year for two of them just to write the book so if i'm on my own let's say it takes it will take me a year like and i'm right. not a material writer yeah a right. material developer and a writer uh so yeah it's, it's a lot of time and, and exactly they're right, not yeah. teaching and i think when they're writing they're not like actually doing the teaching so it's a lot yeah, of time yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as, and when i'm freelancer nobody would pay me for this time and still yet again <laughs> okay, i can design i can design like this uh, i can write this book 
but yet again, I, when I'll be using it with a different student, it will be just like, uh, yeah. why is my book better than, I mean, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, there's lots of whys, but I was yeah. like, the, the question is, was like that sometimes the teachers change something in the book and they can't, they can't explain why they do this. That's, then, you know, I agree, that's it, yeah, and that's actually one of the things that's been particularly important for me as I've um, been doing more teacher training and as I've written my own, I've designed my own teacher training courses. Um, the thing that I strive to um, keep in focus, which in my opinion, a lot of teacher training courses don't do, um, is to focus on the, the, the rationale behind a given decision. So, you know, I want, when, when teachers have graduated from one of my courses or when they've spent time working with me in, in you know, one capacity or another, um, my main hope is that when they leave me, they can go to their classroom and they can make decisions, they can do things um, for reasons and they know why they're doing it, rather than what I think you get from a lot of training is you're told, you know, kind of a fixed set of steps to follow, you should do this and then you should do this, and if this happens you do this. Um, and the teachers kind of come out of it with a kind of a rote set of procedures to follow. They don't really know why they why they do certain things which means a this is just kind of shallow and i i don't like that it doesn't appeal to me i like i like thinking about these things more deeply but it also means that teachers are not then very well equipped to deal with unexpected situations situations in the classroom you know when you go to the classroom it, it's not the same every time um and whatever you learned on your course is not going to be replicated in every lesson and in every classroom with every group of students um, and you know the minute that that falls apart teachers don't know what to do because they didn't know why they were doing what they were doing anyway and so that's that's been a focus for me in any of the training I've done is I want teachers to be able to say oh yeah um, you showed us this I'm going to do it that way for this reason and you showed us this and i think because you know as, as long as they can explain why they're doing what they're doing um i don't care if they never try if they never do what i showed them if they never copy something i did but they can tell me why they've done it a different way why they're doing it their way that's by far the more valuable outcome i think yeah yeah totally agree yeah um and also uh what the teachers are asking from us now so we're very democratic uh as I, I, um, it's like a co-learning environment where guiding, I'm guiding it a little bit because the way maybe I, I shape it the way I want it to be. So for me to study as well, yeah, but I also uh, listen to what everybody says. And uh, um, um, interestingly enough, uh, the teachers are asking on some, for some workshops on how to plan lessons because they've never been taught to plan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, even that I've, I've come across so many different formats as I've, as I've, you know, moved from one school to the next. Uh, that's another thing, again, that there's just this is kind of what I meant earlier as well is just there's not much thought that goes into these things. So teachers kind of they're given a, a form, a piece of paper that they have to fill in, you know, their, 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 their principal or their district or whatever will say, this is the form that you use for your lesson plan. And they just kind of they sit down and they fill in the form. They don't really think about about it. And so I'll, I'll sit down with the teacher and say, okay, this is your lesson plan. Can you talk me through it? And I say, yeah, it's there. I can read it, but tell me about it. And there's no, got nothing to say. There's nothing, there's no more depth than that. And they're often incredibly sparse. Um, and I think there's more, there's more controversy around this than I, than I ever expected. Um, but I take an approach. I think lesson planning is very important. Now, 
I was quite surprised to find that that's a topic of debate. There are surprisingly large contingent of teachers out there that, um, that endorse a much less stringent approach to lesson planning than I would. Um, so a lot of the time I meet teachers and their lesson plans are very, very sparse. You know, it's just a couple of lines. How much use is this really? And they will tell me that it's all you need. And then I'll go and observe their lesson. I say, you needed a better plan. <laughs> you know, there's a reason that this didn't work and that that didn't work. And you, why, you know, your students were confused here and you seemed lost there and you were confused about this and your students asked you a question that you couldn't answer. All of that could have been avoided if it was better planned. Uh, so I, I, I think lesson planning is really important. And I, I, I think I, I, from my experience, I would have to say the same as, as, as your teachers have, that a lot of teachers don't really get formally introduced to lesson planning as a, uh, as a, as a kind of a deep process. And I think that that's a shame. True, I, I guess there is, I mean, I know, uh, as I've, I was reading this book yesterday at night, yeah, about again, teacher, like teachers professional life circle maybe yeah so okay. i think it also depends yeah there is a stage when you're more experienced and you for example you've worked with the book for, for right. a while sure. you don't sure. really so you, uh, yeah it's getting like shorter or longer and depends on like on the group sure. as well yeah but also yeah it depends i guess it depends on the approach as well so the structure of the planning so it's, i i'm not surprised that there is uh this uh, i mean there can be uh, contradictory ideas yeah. uh, about lesson planning. So I just, I have my um, notes. So I, th this is uh, my lesson plan for my advanced teachers. Right. So it's not maybe, so it's more about, uh, so again, because it was absolutely based on the book. So basically, basically there is no like right. work up there. Yeah, but uh, I was really, so and like, to be honest, and I, I don't know, I think for many like practitioner teachers, we don't have much time. And if nobody's no, checking that's us, true. That's really, true. Yeah. we don't really write our plans, do we? Um, that can be true. That's what I enjoyed when I was doing it because I was a teacher of June at Teacher Stitch Teachers. So this is the lesson plan that's coming from. Oh, okay. It was such a pleasure to just sit and think of the lesson right. and right. see. And, and it worked. It, it was much better than, you know, that's the unplanned. And I should say, you know, so a couple of things there that I, that I, that I was not saying, you know, uh, certainly I, I, I'm not saying that there is one way that everybody must plan. Definitely not. Um, and, and, you know, wherever there's a discussion about different approaches to planning and different formats of planning. Um, of course, there's going to be as many different ways to plan as there are teachers, perhaps. That's fine, as long as there is some thought going into it. But I also say for myself, I mean, I've been teaching now for over a decade, which sometimes uh, feels like a long time. And sometimes I'm speaking to somebody who's been teaching for 40 years, and it feels like I'm a baby, you know. Uh, but I think it's, a, you know, I've got a good bit of background in what I do and I, I, I tend to think I'm good at what I do um, so now I can if I if I have a lesson tomorrow or if for, for whatever reason I, I you know I don't have time to prepare for it I can walk into a lesson without really planning it um, not because you know because what I'm calling on my experience oh, well I've taught this lesson before or I've taught students like this before so I'll refer back to things that I've done in the past I can do that um, and Occasionally I do. I'm not particularly proud of it, but occasionally for one reason or another, you know, you'll, every teacher finds themselves in a situation where you have to walk into a lesson you haven't really planned and I can do it and I can get by and the students will learn and it will go okay. Um, but it never goes as well as a lesson that I've sat down and written a comprehensive plan for. The more, the more effort I put into planning, the better my lessons are. 
um, at this stage. And I imagine that that will, I'm quite confident that that will still be true 20 years from now um, when I'll be, you know, perfectly capable of walking into a lesson without a plan. But a planned lesson just, it does go better. I think it works better when it's planned. Um, maybe, yeah, that's why it's called planning. <laughs> um, there is a, uh, um, I got some like, uh, feedback from my colleagues because this was my lesson number two and it was really planned and I think I had like six so for 90 minutes I had like six or seven interactions in breakout rooms yeah it was an online okay. thing because of the we all awesome. know what yeah. uh, right now uh, because um, normally it's my Moscow offline group uh, and it was cool they're so high paced I really enjoyed you know like this whole thing and then the next lesson for some like I really I didn't have time to prepare but then I thought okay this would be my experiment such an excuse mm. yeah, like to see if like first of all like uh taking myself on a dare you know like it's like can i can i do that can i teach a group yeah, of advanced yeah, okay. students yeah. like it's my second um you know time teaching um i mean the first time was last year and so well, that was interesting and that would, would be interesting to see if my students will really realize that i don't have a clue <laughs> right yeah could they tell yeah. <laughs> so no they uh, and i asked them in the end they said oh, Huh? No, we didn't know you were not prepared. Yeah. Maybe they lied, you know, but I don't think they did. And uh, and um, the, the, so the feedback was that the lesson was much more relaxed and mm -hmm. that they had much more space for themselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I did have this plan that I, you know, really was wanted to go through because it's a right. plan. Yeah. 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 So they, they enjoyed that kind of, you know, freedom. So now I'm thinking how I can, you know, fit in this uh, maybe in some plan. So maybe that within yeah. the lesson, it would be like, something vague, you know, not that plan, sure. maybe something like that. And also, I think it's important, and this is, I think, one of the things that comes perhaps with a bit of experience, with one of the difficult things is um, that as much as I want teachers to spend time planning their lesson, that plan should be a guideline. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I think is important for a teacher is to know when, if the time comes, to know when you maybe just have to abandon the plan. Occasionally that's the case, you know, something isn't working in the class or something, you know, something happens that you didn't expect. And in that moment, the worst thing you can do then is say, okay, what's next on my plan? And you just kind of start ticking off your plan um, and it's not gonna work because the students wanna go a different way and your intention with the students. Then. Um, and so that, I think that that's something that comes with, with, with some experience as well, perhaps. Um, I think it's important that you have a plan. I think it's important that you know when to abandon it and i think that there's a you know there's a, a dichotomy there that, that i think works quite nicely if you can find the balance or if you know when to you know when to follow the plan and when to leave it but i, I think that having the plan I, I i still tend to think is uh, is worthwhile <laughs> yeah no i totally agree yes and i think for me so the, so um I, I like the way i planned this so I, like i planned the lesson and then i did it like this and here are i mean my goals yeah so right yeah good uh, my writing is like doctor's writing, so very uh, <laughs> hard right, to read. <laughs> I could have been, I, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon, so at least I have the handwriting. You've got the handwriting for it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I, I believe that's something that we don't uh, normally do, maybe because I don't, as freelancers, uh, at least in Russia, they are overworked, uh, and especially mm, now. Yeah. Like what I want from this lesson, yeah. So yeah, um, right, yeah. My professional development, yeah, and uh, yeah, I've started. Uh, I've started talking a little bit more openly recently. So started to um, to share a little bit more publicly. Uh, personal development objectives, I've been calling them. I'm just saying, you know, 
at the moment, this is my personal development objective. And I'll usually kind of have one that might last for a while, you know, it might be for, for a few weeks or a, or a month or more. So you know, at the moment, this is the thing that I'm trying to develop in my lessons as I teach or as I kind of think about my, my plans, my approaches, my materials. Uh, this is the thing that I'm trying to develop within myself. And I think it's good to have that. You, you might have one per lesson. You might have one, you know, every lesson say, this is what I want to get out of this lesson, as you said. Or you might have kind of an overarching uh, thing that you're working on that you're developing, maybe something you're trying to improve in your practice. Um, that, you know, that goal might be with you for, for a few weeks or for a, for a whole course or something like that. Uh, yeah, I think that's a valuable thing to do. Well, is it easy for you to think of something you want to work on? No, and I wouldn't say I always have one. I would like to, I would like, you know, I'd like to say a teacher should always have one. You should always have an active objective, but I, I, I don't always have one. Um, so, you know, the, the ideal is perhaps, you know, I'm not necessarily meeting the ideal, but the ideal situation would be to, to always have something in mind. Um, but usually it's, it's something that, that either um, I read about and think, oh, I don't do that. You know, I, I see another teacher does it, or I read something and think, oh, that's something I could incorporate into my lessons. Um, uh, or it's something that you know I've struggled with in a lesson. I've had a problem in a lesson, and I think, okay, there's something I need to 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 change about that. There's something I need to work on there, and so it'll be responsive to uh, to a challenge that I've faced. Um, at the moment, the the thing I'm working on at the moment is um, increasing visualization. So using more visual um, uh, support, like images and pictures. And so I started recently, kind of sketching out the the material that i'm teaching and, and and adding sketches and drawings to some of the the, the stuff that i'm teaching or the, the training that i'm doing um and that's you know building in the visual approach to learning so it's something that i think you know the more we can do that the better it is for our students and also it just has me kind of thinking differently about the way that i'm approaching my content as well so it's, it's uh, freshening up something that you know maybe i've i've taught this thing a dozen times but now I'm kind of having to approach it differently I can't just use the materials that I've been using for the last dozen times because now I've got to add some more visualization into it so I'll sit down and sketch it out which means sometimes I think about it a little bit differently I might change the order of things um, so it's keeping keeping my approach a little bit more fresh as well so that's what I'm working on at the moment mm, wow. and you said you're sharing with them with uh, who <laughs> yeah well, I just kind of I'm just posting them on uh, LinkedIn is where I'm most active um, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, I would like to um, work towards having a, a forum um, that's kind of a not closed in the set, not private, but a, a dedicated forum. I'd like to set something up in the future, but I don't have anything at the moment. So the place I'm most active is uh, is LinkedIn, um, and I tend to to post quite actively there about what I'm doing or sharing ideas or approaches. Um, so at the moment, that's really where it is. Yeah, uh, because we're working on something similar for teachers to teachers, like within at the program, we do have like we also have like apart from the general track, we have the uh, start. We just started this summer the exam preparation track in the similar way, okay. so with more short term analytics, but we'll do it eight months, so it's not super short term, but still uh, yeah. to go to the format for ACE and CP, but with the same idea. And we started doing it with that, so to like like weekly girls or monthly girls, yeah. But you're working on in terms of like teaching and language and everything. Yeah, it can be hard to to think of stuff like yeah. sometimes really like it yeah. takes time. You need it's it's okay, I guess. Sometimes sometimes it's okay. They're just I will go into the class, teach it, and then I'll see what I Yeah, I think about. so the, just the evaluative process, and that's why you might just find that you have one that 
only is only active for a couple of weeks because you you have a problem and then you solve it you know and, and that can be a quick process or sometimes it might take a lot longer um the other the last thing i had which i worked on for a lot for a long time was um differentiation trying to incorporate differentiation into my teaching that was a relatively new idea for me um uh, uh, and so i wanted to include more differentiation in my in my teaching which was challenging because it you know required a lot of work it was it was a new it was a new paradigm it required a lot of work and preparation it's a new paradigm for me could you please elaborate on yeah that? so just the idea that um you know when when you're teaching a, a group you mentioned already when you were teaching um or, or sorry when you were a student i think you mentioned when you were a student in in russia um you would have had in in the classroom maybe a large number of students uh crossing a number of ability levels um mm -hmm. so you might have you know here in indonesia you might have a class of 30 odd students and some of them are elementary and some of them are maybe intermediate perhaps reaching into upper intermediate um and you'll have kind of a core mid-level perhaps but there's going to be students above and students below um and differentiation is just the idea that you might teach differently to those different students you might bring in uh there are you know there's there's a lot of different ways you can approach it and uh i could talk now that i've been thinking about it for a while and i, I could talk about it for hours perhaps but in brief um you, the simplest way that you might do it is just have uh for one activity rather than planning one activity you might have three different worksheets an easy one and the the standard one and a slightly more advanced one and just bring in three sets of materials for, for that activity and say okay uh if you want the heart you know and then you can either uh you can choose which student works on which worksheet or you can let the students decide which one they want to have a go at so there's so many different ways of approaching it but again to at least be thinking about it i think is the important thing to to, to consider it to, to to um to have a strategy or an approach whether you know there's not necessarily one correct approach but to think about it to do something about it i think is is the, the main thing as so i spent quite a long time trying different strategies and also it's just it's it's not easy it's more work it, ta it takes longer to prepare the lessons it, it adds to your workload right but um if you want to do the best thing for your students and it's often you know one of the things that i often have to just be very open with with the teachers i work with um about is just to say you know i'm not unfortunately and not necessarily here to make your job easier um you know as with anything in life if you want to do a better job you probably have to work harder you know that's true for everything else why wouldn't it be true for teaching so you know the, I, there's no point in me sugarcoating that there's no point in me pretending otherwise the reality is if you want to do a better job for your students i'm probably going to be asking you to to do a little bit more to work a little bit harder but what i do find as well is once you put that time in um and you establish a more effective teaching approach um it requires a little bit more work in the preparation but the the lessons are the lessons are better they're smoother it's easier to be in the classroom it's easier to be with the students um and i think that that's the that's the thing to focus on perhaps. true but it's, yeah i mean i get you. um why did why did you choose this kind of job <laughs> again i mean uh the schools and different levels uh because i mean again instead of one lesson you're planning three <laughs> yeah that's it i mean I, it's not something i chose per se it's just the way it is unfortunately i think it's the way it is in, in many parts of the world um yeah, you know when yeah absolutely yeah. yeah if you're teaching in the yeah. language centers 
then they're usually designed around they have a placement test of, of some kind and they're designed around levels uh, but when you're teaching in the school the mainstream schools most countries their national system is age-based time-based and so you yeah. graduate year three and move into year four and i think the other the thing that's particularly interesting about that is that for the most part i think the other subjects um, can get away with that a little bit more. Um, I don't think you get, you'll get some, there'll always be students who progress quicker than others. There'll always be some of that, but in say maths or physics or, or whatever else, um, I think we can expect the students to be at the same pace as the curriculum more because they're all learning maths in their math lesson. The thing with languages and especially with English in particular is you've got students they all come to the class at the same time but when they go home they have a very different exposure and experience with language learning so you'll have some students where if you only have one English lesson a week that's their entire learning experience and then you have other students who come to the lesson once a week but they go home and they're speaking english every day with their friends or with their parents or they're watching tv where others aren't and they're so you have students who are learning much more outside of the classroom and i think that that's less uh, less true with the other subjects so you don't tend you know i don't think you just have some students who are constantly exposed to physics at home the way you might with, with english you know so i think that it's a bigger it's a bigger challenge perhaps in in languages and especially in english true uh, because i mean yeah language is not this subject per se it's right. more of maybe 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 closer to sports you know because again, yeah like that's a that's a perfect comparison you have some students who only ever do sports in their PE class and then you have some students who go home every night and they want to play football or they want to yeah exactly right exactly right yeah so that that's why now like I never thought of it like I was I remembered my Spanish group at school so for me Spanish is like whoa something I really learned in school and yeah surprisingly we all started learning Spanish from scratch together right. but we've been in at very very different levels yeah so yeah I think it's just unavoidable with language um, and it's as I say, it's going to happen to some degree in every subject um, but I think it's it's always going to be a bigger uh, a bigger spread in the languages Maybe it's a bigger problem for the teacher. So in, yes, yeah, maybe, course, yeah, maybe, maybe because we just don't teach physics, so we don't really know how it's <laughs> going. Could be like somebody that could be doesn't right. remember yeah, the maybe. maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. I All right, Anita. Yeah, I think, I think we might have it there. Um, <laughs> it's been a pleasure, and I think we're, yeah, I think we've, uh, we've, we've, we probably could go on much longer i think that's a good place to stop there uh so it's been a pleasure anita uh before we do finish um is there anything that you want to uh send people in any particular direction where they can find you and find the work that you do or anything people should be looking for yeah yeah sure um, um yeah, i mean um and depends on what they're interested in yeah so basically if they yeah like to learn about teachers teach teachers so our website is teachers teach teachers.com i think yeah i can mm -hmm. send you link to go with or i also have like some talks yeah my youtube channel yeah anything like that i'll uh, I'll, I'll add some links with the video yeah. and linkedin is uh, blocked in russia so don't, don't oh really know that. Well, that yeah. explains a lot i didn't know that and that immediately goes oh okay <laughs> i didn't know that so yeah i can sometimes when i go abroad so i, I do have an app i think here but uh so when i go uh, somewhere and uh, i start receiving messages on linkedin so, but the moment I go back here, yeah, it's all, I mean, I mean, you could use the VPN thing and sure. stuff, but 
I mean, it's not that popular here. I mean, and it's blocked because the, when the, the right. data policy is something, mm, okay. they, uh, because they, they're, they're keeping the date or something, they didn't comply with the policy. Right, so, okay. Yeah, so if somebody added me ever on LinkedIn, I'm sorry, I didn't reply. Sure. Uh, yeah, so I'm active on Facebook. Um, okay. Yeah, so, and I'm always happy to talk about teaching. And yeah, now I'm, I'm also like, like every time I talk to somebody who's involved in teaching, I like, how can we, can, how can we use you, <laughs> teachers, teach teachers? Maybe I will be contacting you at some point. No, I'd love uh, to. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I will be happy to have you at some point. Maybe yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah, but or maybe there is something that you'd like to, you know, do or take part in. You're always. No, there. great. No. I'd very happy to, to to speak with you more about that and see what we can do. Excellent. Uh, yeah, and if and yeah, if you're like looking for some crazy teachers who always speak about their job, so welcome to Russia <laughs> anytime. Great, great, yeah. Yeah. All right. So thanks, thanks a lot, Anita. Thank you for inviting me. Good luck with your um, everything. <laughs> yeah, likewise. Good luck with teachers, teach teacher. It seems like it's grown so quickly and it's been so successful. It's been a it's been a real thunderbolt. It's amazing.